Cliffcentral.com. All right, cliffcentral.com on a Wednesday morning. And usually around this time, we have a, a guest. And I'm very, very pleased to see Daryl Bristow Bovey again for the first time in ages. You say it's what, 10 years since we last saw each other? 10 years, exactly. 10 years since I wrote my last book. Um, God, that's a, that's a long time. It's the only reason I write books these days. <laughs> so I can get to see you again, Gareth. <laughs> but dude, I have known you for a long time. I yeah. mean, it must be close to 20 years that we've known each other. It was 20 years. I remember sure. the first, I was actually just driving over there. Remembering the first time, was it a boxing match in, in, uh, Oh my God, at Carnival City or something, wasn't that's it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or maybe Caesar's Palace. Or something. That was in the days where like, you know, people would go to events and there, there was like a, there was a prestige and a, yeah. Yeah, an excitement around these things. I mean, it was so stupid. We but... put on our good t-shirts. Oh yeah. 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 We, we dressed up for things like that. Yeah. In fact, I, I can't remember who was, who was actually in the match, no, but it was a major thing and it was, Late at night or early in the morning or something Late like night, that. That's right. Yeah, it was bizarre. Yeah. So let me just give a quick introduction so that everybody else knows. Um, because I mean, the, the most amazing thing about you is that you do have a, a long and very, very cool history in writing, but you're a prize winning author. You're a screenwriter. You're a travel writer. You're a newspaper magazine columnist. A lot of that stuff sounds a little bit archaic because the media world has changed mm. so much, but mm. those things used to be. I mean, if you could call yourself just any one of those things I've just called you, you were like at the top of the food chain. And in some ways you still are because it's a, it's a quality and ability, a talent that very few people have. You're, you've written five books. Um, they've been translated into seven different languages, including Spanish, Estonian, and Portuguese. You're born in South Africa. You studied under, and this is amazing. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. J.M. Kutzia mm. and Andre Pierbrink. I mean, to to learn from people like that who have become international juggernauts in their own space and time mm. is quite something. But the most amazing thing about this is that you, and I, I picked this up from your your new book, which is a real exploration of the the Shackleton expedition. It's about it was the endurance, which of course they found they found the ship yeah. at the bottom of the Antarctic Ocean. Um. And your father has an intimate connection to that. But one of the chapters, you start off going, oh, well, I'm sitting in Greece. And I thought, what a life this guy has. So you actually, you spend a lot of your time in the Peloponnese. You've got a house there or something? I'm building a house there. That's so cool. It's, How uh, did that happen in between? I mean, I should have uh, stayed in contact with you. I might have got an invite to your house in the Peloponnese. Listen, it's not. Uh, How can you there? It's not too late for that. I, I, so I'm building the house, right? Right. So, so the great thing about building a house in Greece is that you get to work with the most optimistic people on earth. <laughs> you know, a Greek builder uh, is always going to be finished uh, next month. <laughs> so, so that's been a couple of years now. Uh, we have we have walls, we have floors, we have some ceilings. So I reckon in another year. Um, there's, there's a guest wing that'll be just perfect for, for your, your, so your, your cool. studio away from home. Uh, no, we bought that in, uh, over the internet during lockdown. So for about sure. six years, I haven't had a home. I've been, um, sort of roaming the world and each month I stay in a different, a different city or a different country. Yeah. And then, which is great, right? Yeah, and of so, course. And so suddenly, uh, it's lockdown and you don't have anywhere to go. So we came back from Los Angeles and we're in a borrowed flat. And, uh, and I thought, this is no good. I need, a man needs, needs room to roam. You know, I, I need to be able to walk out of my house and have nobody tell me, uh, yeah. go back inside and have people in Cape Town shout at me out of the windows because they don't believe that I, I'm walking a dog. 
which I wasn't because I don't have a dog. Uh, uh, and so we, we bought the land <laughs> off the internet. There was nothing. There's nothing. There's no electricity. There's no. It's very water. expensive. No, it's very cheap. Really? Yeah, I, I'm attracted. You don't know this. And do they, I'm attracted to cheap things. No, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being attracted to cheap things as long as you yourself aren't cheap. Correct. Um, what, what made you think of Greece? And are they very friendly and welcoming to, I mean, do you, for example, have to apply for a visa every time you go back to your house? No, I don't, because after a certain point of spending money, they give you a residency. Oh, that's handy. Uh, but, that's very handy. But, but, but Greece, because they are so lovely, um, I'd been spending, I'd spent like in the previous years before, I spent a month on, on, on different islands and Athens. What a and, place. Uh, huh? And they're the nicest people, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you never really know if, they, if they're really angry or if they're being very welcoming, because there's just a lot of shouting <laughs> and hand-waving and, uh, and banging on the table. But, but it turns out they're always friendly. All right, so let's get straight into this book because I I, I really loved it. Um, I, I sometimes read the entire book when I've got someone who comes in for an interview. And sometimes you just don't have time. You've got maybe three or four books to get through in a week. And I'm yes. interviewing people at various times a day. And I don't get through the whole thing. And I did with you. And partly that's because, I mean, I've read some of your previous books. And I just, I love the way you write. I'm just going to go to this to give people an illustration of what I mean, right? So here you are just casually penning this little chapter. You go, life is expansion and multiplication, a dazzling scattering of light, an infinity of brightness and surprise. And although much is lost along the way, not merely does more abide, more is added, delight is added, insight and wisdom are added, beauty and bravery are added. I suppose what I'm trying to say and sometimes struggle in my day-to-day life to remember is that the world is a trembling threshold of possibility, of conjunctions and contradictions, of opposite things that can be true at the same time. We're doomed and we're not. We can go home and we can't. Past is over and the past is still changing. Lost things are lost and lost things come back. I mean, that's good shit. <laughs> I, wish, good shit. I wish you'd read my audio book, man. That was, that was perfect. It's good to read stuff that, you know, I said to you just before we started the interview, lots of people can tell a story, but they, they tell it kind of badly. It takes a real wordsmith to be able to tell a story beautifully. So obviously we must start with the fact that you knew and you must have known as a child that your father, who at that stage was living in Durban. Yeah. And I mean, you're very fair about him. He clearly was a tremendously talented, adventurous mm. man of, 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 courage, bravery, fortitude, and all that stuff. But mm. you also paint this picture of this guy who's kind of, you know, he's got this legacy he never really grabbed hold of. Yeah. But you must have known as a kid that your dad was on this incredible expedition. Well, that that was the, one of the things that entwines Shackleton and my father in my head is this, is this very question of what is success, right? What is a successful life? So, you know, Shackleton, who is this, Polar explorer, but who never actually achieved anything. He never, he never made, he never it made to the it. South Pole. No. He never managed to walk across the continents. He came back from his expedition as a failure. Um, and, and my father felt much the same way. He was, you know, like you say, a man of talents, I think, and, and of ambition and of dreams, uh, and of skills. We grew up in the depression. He never finished school. He, mm-hmm. he, you know, he left school at the age of 12 and, and I, I think he felt like a failure, and in some ways, you know, he, he presented um, as a failure to me. Um, and when he was young, I used to lie in bed with him, and he used to, uh, at night after he'd had his first stroke, and he would tell me stories of his life. Right? 
And and so for me as a kid, you know, your father tells you stories. It's it's he's the hero. He's the central thing in your life, you know. And 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 his stories created this sort of mythical figure. Um, and and of course, yeah, he was he was a great storyteller. He was a you know he was a fantastic storyteller. And and like all good storytellers, not all of his stories, I think, were true. <laughs> Um, and so one of the things he told me was that he had been with Shackleton on the Endurance when they sailed uh, in 1914 down to go and cross the Antarctic and he got stuck in the ice and he'd come back from the ice and now he'd settled down in Durban. And even as I grew old and I, and I sort of put the dates together um, and realized you know, he would have been five at, at that time, uh, he... he I still couldn't quite believe that he hadn't been on the ship because he knew all of these details. He knew personal details about Shackleton that he couldn't have known and that have only subsequently come out in, in learned biographies that were written after he, after he died. So one of my um, journeys in this book was to figure out how he could possibly have, have known any of that if he, if he wasn't, in fact, uh, on the ship. And I, I, I worked through many theories. So he might be, a, he might have been a stowaway. Uh, the cabin boy, you know, yeah. Shanghai. Right. Uh, but okay, yeah, I came up with, with, with a solution that I think sort of. But there's a part of you that kind of wants to believe your of dad course. is part of something yeah. like this. Yes. And then there's a part of you that is extremely skeptical of this yeah. just because you're a realistic sort of human being. Right. And I think we all come to a point where we realize that our fathers are not superhuman. Yeah. And I think it's difficult for any, especially young man, but, but young girls as well mm. to realize like your dad can't save you from everything. They're yes. not yeah. good at everything. They don't know all the answers. Yeah. That's part of the journey, right? Of yeah. Household, is yeah. That, yeah. If yeah. you know that it can't be true, he's just another person <clears throat> like me. But there's a part of you that yearns for that and yearns for that moment of childhood, right? That where you're whole and, and part of feeling whole is feeling like there, there was a superhuman figure who could look after you and make everything all right. And then, you know, that we also have to see that the end of the age of adventurers was more than a century ago. Yeah. I mean, all the places with the possible exception of the moon in the sixties, yeah. yeah. all the other places have been explored. Yeah. We had to go into space because there was no ocean deep enough anymore. Mm. There's no forest that was left untrod by the explorers of the European world. Yeah. There was no far-flung continent. And even Antarctica and, and the Arctic, which is just ice, had been conquered. You know, there, there, there were people like Amundsen. There were people who'd tra traversed these incredible wastelands of just cold and misery and frostbite and shit to, to come back with the accolade. And Shackleton was not given any accolades because... He didn't make it, and he lost the ship too. Yeah, and also he did it during the First World War. You know, he, yes, they, there were lots of distractions. Yeah, they were away <laughs> in the ice, and so when he came back after this incredible, it's, it's one of the great stories of adventure um, and survival of all time. And when he comes back, people go, "But why? You know, you should have been, uh, you should have been fighting and dying uh, in, in the fields of France." Um, and it's it, it's one of the first examples, I think, of, of people telling. <laughs> Other people who are doing wonderful things, I yeah. think, extraordinary human things. Uh, no, no, that's that's not what you should be focused on. There are more important social issues that you should. Be well, it's like on. those people who tell rich people they shouldn't be helping this charity; they should be helping that one, as if right, it was their right. money. 
Yeah. Or, you know, you shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't be allowed to go down in the submersible. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, yeah. That was a big thing. Yeah. Those five people who went rich, down to see right. the Titanic. Oh, how dare they spend yeah. their own money going yeah. down there and putting their life at risk? Yeah. So just do something that the rest of us can't afford. Yeah. How rude. Yeah. Shouldn't you rather be spending that on starving people or whatever? Yeah. So when you wrote this, I mean, there must have been, because you've done a huge amount of research too. You tell us about where all the, the various people who were on the expedition ended up, yeah. what they ended up doing. And there are some, some South African links there too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but kind of when did the whole story start to make sense for you? And when did you, when did you separate fact from fiction in terms of what you'd been told, what you believed and what you discovered? Because that's an exploration of its own. That is. And, you know, I've been obsessed with the Shackleton story. Well, there's a name for you guys who are obsessed with it. Shackleheads. Shackleheads, that's right. It's it's a name that's caught on quite a lot. I I invented it. (laughs) It works. (laughs) In my pitch for the book. And so I keep running into people and I was saying, oh, I too am a Shackleheader. Oh, you indeed. Um, Yeah, I want that to be an entry in the Oxford Dictionary under my name one day. yeah, it, last year when they found the endurance, and it was, it's at the bottom of the Weddell Sea, and it's and it's in the clearest seawater on Earth, and and because there's no oxygen down there, and there's no bacteria that eats the, the the wood, it's pristine and perfect. And one of the uh, the sailors, uh, Shackleton's right hand man, a guy called Frank Wild, all through his journals, sort of complains about leaving, having to leave his good boots behind, oh. and you can see them on the deck of of the boat, and the stitch, leather stitching is still there. And when I saw that, there was this, there was this moment of joy, you know, this, and it was in the newspapers and the, 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 um, websites of the world where people were suddenly, you know, sharing these beautiful photographs and saying, look at this incredible thing. And it was that moment where I just suddenly thought, wow, that's one of the few news stories I've seen recently where there's nothing, no one's angry about anything. You know, there's, yeah. there's no one's blaming anybody for doing anything. They've just found this, this thing that has come back like a gift. From from the world, um, the lost uh, a place of lost things, and and something's been found, and so that's that's what kind of kick started this this journey to to sort of go back through time, and and, and to look into the future, and and to to sift through all of the the evidence. All right, so I mean, it, people have to read the book, so I'm not we're not going to mm. give away everything, but th- there's. There are quite a lot of interesting historical anecdotes. And I mean, in, in one chapter, you talk about the infinite game. Yeah. You talk about the difference and you, you mentioned success when we started talking yeah. here. And people have different attitudes and different ideas yeah. of what success is. You know, is success winning and being the first to the poll? Right. Is success making tons of money? Is success finding the perfect partner? Is success having wonderful children who grow up to be useful and, and, and prosperous and, uh, and productive adults? Mm-hmm. What, what is, what is success? And, you know, is Shackleton to be regarded as a failure? And how many of us by the same standard would fall short? Yeah. Well, you know, by the measurements of a finite game, um, Shackleton was a failure. And so was Scott, uh, his, his great rival in the, oh. in the Antarctic, uh, exploration. Scott was on a race to, to be the first of the South Pole. He gets beaten there by Munson. He arrives at the South Pole and sees the, the Norwegian flag is flying and, and he feels like a failure and he feels so depressed and so saddened by this that he kind of loses a heart and degenerates as a leader coming back across the ice and all of his, well, all of his party die and freeze to death in the tent. And contrasted to that is, is Shackleton and I've come to 
to think you know, my father uh, and people mm-hmm. and people like that whose whose idea of success is is to play a different kind of game from this finite game of winning and losing. Okay. And and the distinction between finite and infinite games uh, comes from a philosopher called, called James Cott, who thought of the the infinite game as being a game that we play in order to keep on playing. Right, and that seems as good a, a definition of life as I can think of. A game that you keep on playing. You play it in order to keep playing. Right. Yeah. You know, the moment somebody, yeah, yeah, a finite game when when somebody wins, the game ends. Right. Right. If you, a game that you keep on playing is a game that never ends, that that includes other people, that sort of that goes on until uh, until you die. And and that's what Shackleton was playing. So so he he tries to go off to the Antarctic. The ship gets frozen into the sea. He needs to get to the Antarctic because he's borrowed all this money that yeah. he can only pay back by by getting there and, and completing his expedition. But he doesn't he doesn't get distressed and depressed. They get frozen into the ice. They have to spend this long polar winter. Um, these men who don't know each other. Which, by the way, weirdly even match. on its own, forget about whether you make it yeah. to the South Pole or not. Yeah. Most of us would not survive anything approximating that. No, and 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 the previous expedition didn't. Everyone yeah, went mad. Of course. Um, and he and Shackleton takes these men uh, who are as as remote as any human being has been in the world at that time, and will be again, as you say, you know, um, until people go to the moon. Right. And in some ways, they're more remote, right? Because they don't have radios. I mean, right? there wasn't this base in Antarctica that there is now. No. You know, no. At, the, at the South Pole, there's this building yeah. that there are people in pretty much all no, year round. Yeah. And even though there are only a few ships that go there. Yeah. You you can get there if you want to, and yeah, you don't have you to be, a, and you don't have to be yeah. some sort of survival expert or some kind of person who can eat from tins and yeah. and heat water miraculously <laughs> and survive without your fingers falling off. We can all do a trip to the Antarctic now. Yeah. We just take it for granted that it's there and yeah. that it's mostly uninteresting, which is also not true. These guys just don't. No one knows where they are. You know, no. no one's going to know where they're, that they're even missing for another year. And no, you know, no one has ever been to this particular place that they were before and, and since until the ship found them. Right. And so from the middle of the frozen sea, he, he just switches his goal and his next goal is to bring all of his men back alive. And, and it feels, which he, you know, spoiler alert, he does. Um, and it feels like a kind of a metaphor for what a successful life is. A successful life is, is somebody is, is living it in such a way that you aren't so fixed on this one, this, this, this one achievement that everything else falls, you know, falls aside. You take other people with you. Yeah. You take again, other people with you. And a lot of this sounds like the sort of claptrap you hear from motivational speakers, yeah. but it except, seems, except this is a man on the ice with other men yeah. with actual lives in his hands. It's not some dude in a, in a boardroom telling you to, to smile and be positive. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad we both have a, a detestation for those sort of people. <laughs> All right. But let's talk about this guy, Oliver Goldsmith, for a second, because I love his uh, system. And there are lots of yes. people who are sitting with debt in South Africa right now. Yes. So included in that chapter, you go into a brief description of what he used to do. Um, is he in any way a, an ancestor of the goldsmiths of of money fame of money fame now because he may well be also it, anglo-irish he I may mean, well be annabelle's yeah. club i interviewed ben goldsmith the other day oh, really yeah who's written a book about losing his daughter during covid which was uh, you know the most devastating thing it was a farm accident oh wow and um 
he, you know, his brother's an MP. In fact, his brother's now a Lord and the minister for the environment in the right. UK. Right. Uh, his sister Jemima married Imran Khan. Imran Khan. Mm-hmm. The mother is Annabelle, famously the club Annabelle's, but yeah. you know, these are, these, these are very well to do family. I think he might be an ancestor of this. I suspect so. I'm guessing so. But anyway, what did he do? He had a fantastic, uh, a system. I mean, of, apart from writing, she stoops to conquer. Yeah. Not, yeah. not a small wrote a lot work. Of, <laughs> wrote a lot of, he, he was, he was an interesting guy. Uh, yeah. his, he was always so depressed about not having any money that, and, uh, that his friends once whipped together to, to buy him a ticket to America, uh, to go try his luck there. And he, and he, he took the money and spent it all night drinking, uh, and, um, and tried to sneak on board the ship as a, as a stowaway. But he had a system where whenever he had uh, another debt come in, um, another bill uh, to be paid, he put it all into a hat. And when he had a little windfall, he would dip his hand into the hat, choose a bill at random and, and pay that off and keep on paying that off until the windfall had, had run out. And when certain debtors would, would come to him and say, uh, you know, you haven't paid for your hats or your, your, your pork pies or whatever it was <laughs> the ace in, in England in those days, he would explain the system. He'd say, you know, it, it's a matter of chance. You yeah. have to take your chances along with everybody else. And sir, if you don't like it, you are out of the hat. And so that was it. That, that was, was it. that was how he solved all his money it, problems. It's, it's a, and, well, and did it's we an know ongoing, it's an ongoing system. You know, you, you, you did can, they you accept can, his explanation? Well, they had to because otherwise, <laughs> otherwise they were they weren't in the running when the next windfall came. Around. I'm going to think that that's a good way to deal with our banks in South Africa so. and mortgages and things. We should say to them, you know what? It wasn't your turn in the hat. I'm sorry. It wasn't your turn. You this much. Yeah, this we're 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 all ruled by chance and circumstance. There we go. All right, so let's just talk about the Antarctic because it's this, it's got this sort of romantic and at the same time terrifying reputation. Mm. Um, what, what, what can you tell people who've, who've never been there, people who don't know anything about it? Uh, it's, it's a forbidding place, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Most people, when they picture it in their heads, including me, you just picture the, the, you know, these, these white sort of snow and ice covered ranges and flats and, and, and just wind blowing absolutely chilling nasty things that that want to destroy you with cold freeze you to death is there anything at all redeeming about that landscape look the polar plateau which is where the north pole is is can is the least attractive part of it and it's it's the final it's the final stretch as you get to the, to the south pole and that's it's the highest uh land on earth and windiest and and snowiest but most land on earth yeah, yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, uh, Antarctica is the highest continent on Earth, uh, the driest uh, and the coldest. It's the biggest desert. So, mm. so when people talk about uh, Everest being the oh, well, highest well, peak. Well, I mean, that's the highest peak, yeah. But, 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 but in terms of average height. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I'm learning new things already. So already three records in yeah. a place that we've barely yeah. begun to explore yeah. okay but most of it isn't the polar plateau most sure. of, most of antarctica is this is incredibly beautiful lands that 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 surround this 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 continent and in summer and in in spring it's it's a it's a place of wonderland when the light is up um uh because this the li- is, uh, aurora australialis oh, Astra- australensis or what is it yeah the aurora australis of course there we are. lovely as well southern um, but just when the sun lights up, because the sun is at a, is at a different angle there than, than it is in, in the rest of the world, right? It comes obliquely. So it's, it's constantly coming through ice, uh, coming, bouncing off the snow and it With creates, diffraction. In, yeah, refraction and, and 
reflection as well, and and it, <laughs> and it creates incredible uh, rainbow effects and um, and deep deep colours of blue and orange and yellow uh, that and pink that you don't expect. You, know, you expect to see it all white, and it's very seldom white in 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 the spring and in the summer um, on on the ice fields. It it feels like being in a, a gigantic crystalline mushroom trip. Jeez. All right. So why would people, why would anyone with their head screwed on right at the time that, that Scott, that, that Shackleton, that Amundsen decided to go down there, why would they do that? Was there a tremendous amount of prestige attached to the Explorer label and particularly the Explorer who discovers X, Y, and Z? And does that come from the conquistadors or from Diaz or from, you know, all these, these, these great Drake, all these people who traversed the world before discovering places you know weirdly enough we we think about that now but actually they spe- and they spent a lot of time trying to persuade uh society that that it, there was a lot of glory attached because they're trying to get funded you know they're, they're mm. all incredibly poor but actually they encountered as much uh criticism and resentment and and skepticism as you pro- we probably would now people would say well, what are you doing down there and they would have to they'd make up lies that you know Shackleton was perpetually trying to tell people that no they found some coal down there and they think there might be diamonds there might be gold and they'd get people to to invest <laughs> in these these expeditions and there was honestly not a great deal of prestige <clears throat> to be had especially after Amundsen was the first of the south pole right. and after that all it's like well we didn't do that you, you know everything else will be second best it's all it's all, Finite it's game all been stuff. done right exactly and so these guys keep going and and you don't really know why except for the fact that Shackleton always said he felt more alive down there and and that he went on land and went in society and when and when moving through normal life felt that he didn't belong there. And there's some people who are just called to do odd, uh, senseless and extraordinary things. And I think that's part of what the beauty of being hum- of of humanity is, right? Is that we are all incredibly different. And at different times, different circumstances, different times of crises, different personalities rise you know, to to the fore. And our, you know, our strength as, as a, as a species is that there's so much diversity. Now, what that means is that in times of peace and stability, some personalities like Shackleton's or like some of the people who would have been French resistance fighters during the occupation. Sure. You know, they don't fit into a normal society. And, and I think my father was actually one, one of those people always sort of chafing against discipline and, yeah. and um, you know, being called a, you know, maverick and a, 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 a rebel, a contrarian. Yeah. 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 But in times of crisis, those are the ones when everyone who's not a contrarian is kind of sitting at home and, uh, and, 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 and keeping curfew, the curfew that the Germans have given you when they marched into your country in 19. Or that the government gave you during COVID. Well, you know, there are all sorts of parallels, parallels. But <laughs> at, at different, at different moments of crisis, you need those extraordinary characters and, and, and people like Shackleton, uh, fat, had to make their own adventures, I think, in, in, in times of, uh, uh, without crisis. Another thing that makes this book really interesting to read, um, and, and I can't kind of, I can't, you know, tell people enough good reasons to, to pick it up and take a look. There's so many interesting things that you throw in here that absolutely have nothing to do with Shackleton. Right. I mean, I didn't know that Berserk and the Berserkers, who were, of course, the, 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 the kind of elite fighting men of the Norse, uh, the Viking Empire, the Viking, um, 
conquerors that came on their longboats. The berserkers were these crazy guys who would go up in the front. They would, they would literally lose their minds. They're probably high on something, mm. but they were fearsome beyond belief. And the term berserk we still use in, in English today, but it actually comes from bear shirt. From bear shirts, yeah, they would they would uh, they would dress they would, they would dress in bear skins to try and uh, occupy the the fighting the fighting spirit of the bear. The bear, you know, used to be bear is an interesting animal. The bear is a very interesting animal. It used to be our great fear, well, our European ancestors' great fear. There was this this beast that lurked in the darkness at the edge of the it was villages. The only big beast in the northern hemisphere, really, yeah. that caused. Absolute terror, and bears are not afraid of people. That's right, and the, and they and they sort of look vaguely like people, you know, yeah. um, bipedal if they if they bipedal, want to. Yeah. yeah, when you see them, come, you know, lurching towards you through the through the, the hazy <laughs> darkness, uh, and so there are all sorts of myths and terrors and fears around them. And and long before the wolf was the thing in the fairy tale, it was the bear. Um, and then what we did was, because we were so afraid of the bear, we we went out of our way to tame it. And so, uh, you know, bear baiting and, still happens. Uh, yeah. And, and, and what, what you have now is, is that the bear is, is the cuddly, we've domesticated it to the point where it's the cuddly teddy bear and it's Paddington and it's Winnie the Pooh and, and like, we've, you know, we've totally emasculated and, and, exactly. and, and broken the bear down. But I mean, we've, we've been obsessed with it to the degree that we've named two constellations That's right. after the bear as well. And this is and Ursa, this, Ursa, yeah. Ursa, Ursa Major, Ursa Minor, yeah. And this is what we, well, you know, Arctic means the place of of the bear, um, uh, because Arctos is the ancient Greek word for bear, and Antarctic actually means the place without the bear, right? Because you can't <laughs> see uh, those constellations. Ursa, and also there are no bears there, but but the, the story of the bears, like, it kind of feels like that's the story of of, of humanity. We have this. Terrible thing, this strong, powerful thing that's bigger than us. And so we spend all of our time making it small until we're bigger than it, as we've done turning into the teddy bear. Uh, and then we kind of have to look around for some other new challenge to, to, to overcome. So the bear was our first big challenge. Um, and then it became, you know, the natural world and now it's space, I guess. I suppose technology also. Yeah. Like a lot of people struggling with that monster. So what about the other people who were on this expedition? Because we, we talked a little bit about Shackleton and I'd like you to go into more detail about the kind of personality that this guy had. Yeah. But, but all these people whose lives he effectively saved with some really solid leadership yeah. in any other situation, he would have been considered a tremendous winner. Yeah. And I think what your book does is it largely rehabilitates some of his reputation. Mm-hmm. Because again, unless you're really, really interested in this stuff, it's not lying yeah. around for people to just assimilate like on Google. Yeah. Um, so this is, there's a lot of novel, uh, ideas, theories, mm-hmm. research, evidence brought to bear here. Shackleton's quite, he's, <clears throat> he's quite a good role model, uh, for leadership in, in organizations because you're going to be asked to do talks now. <laughs> In those boardrooms that you hate. The board. You will. The well-named so tell us boardroom. what the leadership skills of Ernest Shackleton were. In five minutes, summarize it in 10 points. Yeah. Put a PowerPoint together. Do you have any takeaways? <laughs> what are the takeaways? You give us the elevator pitch on Shackleton. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Go on. But what he did was he, he had a ship full of incredibly mismatched and unsuited uh, people. Rabble. 
Yeah, yeah. He had, he had some, <laughs> some of the scum of the Bristol docks. Right. Uh, he had some scientists who'd never been to sea before. He had some, some sort of weird youngsters who just wanted to, to, to run away to sea and have an adventure. And none of them got, you know, got along together very well. Uh, but they had to, they were suddenly thrown into a circumstance where they had to be in very tight, uh, confines in, in this, this wooden ship, uh, through the through a six month period where they're frozen into the ice and the sun never comes up and the temperature never comes uh, uh, raises much above minus thirty five degrees uh-huh. um, and and then they have to go through all this physical activity so what what he did was he 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 bonded them together in without hugging kissing you know singing they were holding doing hands a drum circle they were not right? doing a drum circle they didn't do any team building exercises <laughs> they didn't have any breakaway groups good yeah but what he did was he 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 recognized the character of each each man he, he sort of watched them quite closely and and the ones that needed a little bit of uh, a, a pepping up he would ask them personal questions or he'd ask them to do him a favor and they'd feel a little bit useful the ones that that just wanted to be left alone. He'd happily leave alone. Uh, and, and he kept an eye out for the sort of grumblers and complainers and the ones who, what he had a particular dislike for were, were, the, were the people who insisted on their legal rights <laughs> under, oh, yeah. under the ship's charter. Uh, and, and he would know. Because this was survival. You, you, exactly. What theoretical nonsense are you pulling out of yeah, your, yeah. your, your book of rights now? Well, one of, one of his sailors wanted to go on strike when they were walking across the ice. Uh, uh it, it wasn't in his contract that he had to pull his, his rations behind him across the ice back to, back to land, uh, <laughs> on a sled. And so he didn't want to do it anymore. And, and so Shackleton sort of took him aside and explained, um, you know, some of the realities of life, um, and, and, and ended off his very persuasive, uh, uh, conversation by saying, and also, you know, if you, if you don't pick up the harness and pull it, I'm going to shoot you, uh, which worked right. for him. Um, and, 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 and so Shackleton had this, had this ability to give people what, what they needed and, and no more and, and to, and to not give them uh, what they what they didn't need, which is which is something that not very many managers are, are good at these days. I think. Well, getting the best out of people is is yeah. a is a real talent, and it's a skill that some people just they they they're very acute observers, which is something yeah. you picked up there about him. But also, there's sort of people who realize that people have different needs. Yeah. Um. And and I think that this is what's so wrong in in the corporate world is that people are all tired of the same brush. Yeah. Or expected to to have the same qualities. That's right, and and even you know some of the, some of the new um, orthodoxy of everyone being different. You know, everyone has to be different in in, in exactly well, the same way. So you mentioned yeah. diversity earlier, yeah. and you were saying one of the best things about humanity is that we do have those outliers, those yeah. those um, contrarians, those mm-hmm. people who stick out and do different things and just on principle yeah. rebellious. Yeah. But obviously, diversity is only really good if you have values that you can all accept our common values. Yeah. So in this case, survival is the thing. Yeah. We're all buying into that. So even though you're all expected to have different qualities, do different things, mm. need different things, 100%. You, you must be attuned to the fact that we are on a mission here to keep living yeah. and to make it back to civilization. If they didn't have that in common, diversity that, wouldn't have helped at all. That's exactly right. And, and he imposed certain values you know, over, over and above that. And you know, one of them being optimism. Um, yeah. no one was allowed to complain. 
Um, and, and at a certain point... What would South Africans of 2022 <laughs> do if we weren't allowed to complain? It's what we're the best at, us and the British, actually. It's true. Oh. Um, and, you know, he would, uh, he would, he would uh, scapegoat and, and, and chastise anyone that he discovered uh, you know, qu- uh, complaining, uh, anyone who had gloomy prognostications about the future. At one point, he, he went to the extreme of forbidding the cook to give extra rations oh, yeah. um, uh, because he knew it would make them uh, uh, feel like they were being coddled, that they, <laughs> that they needed uh, uh, the spirits raising. On another occasion when um, the winter was setting in and all of the seals and the penguins had disappeared and so there was no fresh food to come, uh, the, 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 the guy in charge of stores was suggesting, well, maybe we should lower the rations so, but to make sure we can last the winter. And he wouldn't do that either for fear of, of making people uh, afraid. Uh, wow. And so it, it, it was, it's, it's, a, it's a delicate balance between you know, practical considerations and psychological, which he was always adjusting, which uh, is a, an unbelievable skill. How do you account for optimism in, in your own life? Because there are, there are people who will call me a blind and stupid optimist sometimes. Mm. I just don't think that there's any really conceivably decent way to live. If you're not optimistic, yeah. you may as well just give up. And I mean, I mean, there's a healthy dose of cynicism in all of us, right? Yeah. And there should be, unless yeah. you're, you're an idiot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there are people who have very, 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 very low IQs are tremendously optimistic, but they, they don't <laughs> yeah. realize like the stove is hot and you'll burn it if you touch it and yeah. shit like that. But how do you account for it in your own life? And are you, because you don't strike me as being an outwardly optimistic person. Hmm. I think I am. And I think I <laughs> I think I am. It's not an insult. No, I know. Um, but it, it, it's, it's one, it's, you know, it's one of the themes of the book. Yeah. You know, Shackleton was an optimist and I think I'm an optimist in the same way, which isn't, you know, when, when we have these conversations today about climate change or, you know, wh- whatever it is, uh, we get polarized into these two camps. You're either a not, you know, you're either a mad optimist. Uh, which, which, which turns to kind of denialist. I don't look at anything. I don't care about it. It's all going to be fine. Or you're some kind of a, a mad pessimist where it's, it's, it's too late. Everything's over. The only thing I can possibly think of to save the world is to throw some orange chalk onto the Wimbledon cent- Central Court. Right? Yeah. We were talking about those people just before you came on. Right. It's yeah. like, nuts. Oh, I'll glue um, my hands to the, the runway of Hamburg Airport because I, the world is going to end anyway. So. It's, it's, a, it's the mad apocalyptic so denial. You'll know where I am. You yeah, know, I think, I think we the, get you. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're somewhere so, in between. So, <laughs> so, so Shackleton's version of optimism, which I think is mine as well, is, is that, uh, yes, circumstances being what they are, the only possible way to live and the only possible way to make a difference and to survive is to do whatever you can think of doing and to have some kind of faith in human agency. Right. That if human agency got us into whatever situation you might think uh, is the case, then human agency can, can, can get us out of that. And, and what Shackleton would do is whatever he could think of doing. And, and he knew that carrying on was the most important thing. And he didn't always make the right decisions. You know, sometimes they went walking off in the wrong direction and sometimes they were, um, yeah, they were bad strategic decisions. But what was important was not stopping and giving up and despairing and uh, and processing and complaining it was doing the best thing you can think of doing until you can think of something better and then and then happily switching well, well, course i think it's also worth just noting here that he'd been on 
what, two or three previous yeah. expeditions before yeah, right. endurance. Yeah. Well, and that's a very good Nimrod e- example. Nimrod and discovery, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. He went, he went with, with Scott on discovery right. and then he had his own um, expedition on the Nimrod. And he had held the record for being the furthest south. And he had walked with a, you know, a couple of men and they'd come within a, a few days march of, of reaching the South Pole. And he made the calculation that they could definitely get there, but they could not get back again alive. And, and it's a mark of his optimism, his optimism, that he said, I'm going to rather turn around and go back again. And that looks like pessimism. Oh, I can't make it there. No. I've given up. No, he went there and came back knowing that he could go again or he could do something else. Whereas Scott got to the same position. Uh, and Scott, who was a pessimist, actually, went on to the South Pole got there second and died coming back. And it's that kind of, there's a paradox in that because yeah. it looks like the guy who just keeps on going no matter what must be the optimist. But no, it's, it's because he's focused, <clears throat> focused on this finite goal and can't realize that there are, there are other way, that, that real optimism is finding a way to, to keep on going, even if it's not in optimal conditions. And, and in American politics now, they would say that, that y- you are, uh, what do they say? It's, it's when you keep changing your goals. Flip flopper. Flip flopping, yeah. right. Uh, but, but of course, this is different because. That's, but that, that's a weird thing about Americans. Uh, well, it's one of the weird one things of about Americans. Yeah. yeah Flip flopping is one of the worst things you can accuse a, a person of, but it kind of seems like you'd want somebody who changes their mind. Well, if, if, for example, change. you discovered that there weren't weapons of mass destruction, mm-hmm. wouldn't the best thing to flip be to flip flop and say, well, let's, Rather just withdraw those men. And Turns out I thought they were, uh, but <laughs> or, no, let's, let's yeah. not go let's, there. Or maybe yeah. when you discover that there isn't, uh, you know, an off ramp to the Ukraine Russia situation, that maybe sending cluster bombs is not the best idea. If you flip flopped on that, we'd be okay with it. When circumstances change, it seems like a, a sane, intelligent people change a sane response to come up with a different idea. So uh, how did it all end for Shackleton after all of this? Because. You know, again, we talk about the way that his reputation has trickled down. And, yeah. and I, I said that you've done a, a great job here of, in some ways, rehabilitating his reputation. But, but how did it end for him after that? He went back and then it was the First World War, which Sh- was still very much on the go. Shackleton brought all of his men back. Um, he wasn't sufficiently healthy to go to the war. Uh, the, he had a problem with his heart. Uh, which makes his his exploits on the ice even even more, even more remarkable. Yeah. yeah, and he knew that he had something wrong with his heart, and so he never let any any doctors uh, examine him because he knew that he wouldn't be passed for a medical. So he went around. He tried to do. Uh, yeah, he had a posting to South America where he he was trying to be in charge of propaganda for the, the Allied um, uh, uh, war effort. And finally, the war ended, and he was left washed up in the shores of history, and um, with nothing to do. and And he was one of those people who just didn't fit in in society. He he was no good at business. He was no good at politics. Uh, people liked him, but he it just wasn't his element. And he gathered up another expedition. He still hadn't paid off all of his debts on the endurance expedition, but he managed to scrounge together the money. Sure. And he sent out word to all of these men who'd been through these te- this terrible experience and said, I'm going back to the South Pole. How about it? <laughs> How about it? And Frank Wilde, who is in Africa, who, yeah. who, who was on a farm in Africa, dropped his, his uh, plow share and, and, and went straight back. And they came it's almost from like all one of those, the world. It's like one of those Greek 
mythology. It is exactly right, right. where yeah. you know Phaedipides runs into the town and he That's rouses it. the people, and yeah. then suddenly all the men who've been farming and being fathers and doing yeah. domestic things suddenly pick up their That's swords right. and. Yeah. Old armor and dusted off. Exactly. And off Agamemnon go. comes on and says, right. Chaps, we're going to go get Helen back. Right. Like, yes. An yes. Adventure. Because you are our leader. Yeah. So the, do you the, think, by the way, that's a personality thing? Yes. Do you is. think adventurers are a certain kind of personality? Yes. Absolutely. And I, and I think that those personality types are the, are the ones that, that come out in sometimes antisocial ways when adventure is not available. Uh. Um, and so he goes back, he gets this, this, this expedition together and his men come, they rally around him, you know, some of them with, with toes missing from, from the previous frostbites. <laughs> and, and they go and he sails off and there's no clear plan of what they're going to do. They're just going to go down to Antarctica and find an adventure. And they, they go down and they get to South Georgia and they head out and just before the, the ship sails off to um, Antarctica. Shackleton writes in his journal, uh, it's great to be here under the Antarctic sli- skies again. His last line in his journal is, um, I'd looked out and I saw a, a single gem-like star shining and reflecting on the bay. And he goes to bed and has a massive heart attack and, and dies in his cabin, um, floating, floating on, this, on this bay, on, j- just on the eve of, of his last great adventure. And he's about to be taken back to be buried in England, and his wife sends a, a message saying, "No, that's where he belongs. Really, um, he should stay in the Antarctic." And so the boat turns around and goes back and to um, to South Georgia, and he's he's buried there on a on a hillside overlooking the old whaling bay. There are a lot of the guys who were on that uh, endurance expedition who never spoke about it. Yeah, that's right. In fact, and, and in, the, the in, second officer had never said a word about it in his in his life post the expedition, right? Yeah, like, that's right. I mean, he, he, he must have tried to, to track down family and try to find out information. I, indeed, and and I spoke to the son of one of the uh, the members of the expedition. I spoke to him last week, actually, in uh-huh. in, in Cape Town. And I said to him, you know, what was it like? You know, your, da- your dad was this great adventurer. He'd been there, you know, unlike my, you know, my dad also told me he'd been away. And, uh, <laughs> but you actually had the photographs to prove it. Yeah. And, and he said, well, you know, it's, it's like the rest of that generation, the, the ones that went to war, the ones that were in prison of war camps, the ones that, that fought in North Africa. They, he would say, yeah, yeah, I was on, on the boat and, uh, you know, I was with Shackleton and, and well, what was it like, dad? Well, it was quite cold. Uh, <laughs> but then we came home again uh, and, and that That's generation it. didn't talk about they were, they were their so, feelings. And uh, their yeah, they did. They didn't talk about yeah. their feelings, but they didn't dare boast or be That's braggadocious. Right. That would have been yeah. hope, hopelessly socially inappropriate. Right? That's exactly right. You would have been shunned. Yeah. They would all say, well, that guy was heroic. Yeah. I just did my duty. You know, I was just there. I yeah. just, you know, I just tried, I just I tried, to, I just tried not to let anyone down. <laughs> that's that's the sort of language. Which is amazing. Yeah. Do you think we still have people like that in the world? I'm sure we do. We just don't uh, hear them on social media. Yeah. So, so the voices we hear are the people who are braggadocious, the ones who are telling you what they did last night and what they think about this and that. And so, it, I think in that era, humility uh, and sort of quiet duty was expected and respected. Um, but now all, all we do is we amplify um, the crasser voices. 
And do you have, after, after doing this, this work and, and producing this book, do you have some, some kind of yearning to, to do something truly outrageously adventurous yourself, even dangerously adventurous? You know, I actually don't. I, um, as a young fellow, I always thought, you know, I, I, I must go out and prove myself, test myself against the world, do something magnificent so I can boast about it afterwards. But actually, um, I, I think I'm finding adventure in, in, in other ways, uh, th- that aren't life threatening, but, but, but that are, are kind of infinite games stuff. Infinite games, exactly, and and moving out of out of comfort. Um, uh, I, I find that more exciting, or as exciting and as adventurous as as climbing up a mountain. And when it's very very cold, like it was last week, do you think of these people often? I do, and I feel ashamed <laughs> you know, that, you, that you're complaining with your that I'm complaining with me. Or- Frank Wilde uh, said, you know, he, he after he came back from the ice, he said, uh, you know, I'm never going back to the cold again. And he w- he went to um, Malawi where he, he worked and say sometimes in 45 de- in the 45 degree heat while he was plowing his field. And he'd be tempted to complain about the heat. He'd remember <laughs> the ice <laughs> and and uh, and would carry on going. And I think. Man, those guys, uh, I, I'm not like them and, uh, I wish I was. Um, I, I can't think of a better place to end it. That's, uh, it's beautiful. It's poetic. It's as, as great as the book. Um, perhaps not as great as the book, but it's, it's close. So here it is. It's called Finding Endurance Shackleton, My Father in a World Without End by Daryl Bristobovi. Do yourself a favor. Um, pick this up. You will not stop reading and you will love every bit of it. Thank you so much. What a great conversation. Thank you. Great to see you, my friend. And we will, uh, we'll catch up around your next book in 10 years. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. In the meantime, get that house built in Greece, please. We've got things to do. (laughs) I'm boarding the Gareth Cliff wing. There we go. I love it. Daryl Bristow Bovey, everybody. Cliffcentral.com.